0: Hello and welcome back to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name's Shane Brennan. I'm the Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation and the host of this unique platform where I speak to business leaders, academics and others who have an interest in the way we store and transport the temperature controlled goods that we all rely on to make daily life possible. And in today's session, I'm going to be talking to one of my peers, someone who runs one of the, well, the largest international organisation representing the commercial actors in the cold chain. That's the Global Cold Chain Alliance, and my guest is Matt Ott. Matt and I caught up last week at the European Cold Chain Conference run by the GCCA. We recorded this session um, after this the main event had finished in the lobby of the of the hotel, so you'll hear some of the background noise um, from, from, from when we had the conversation. And it was great to capture on um, recording some of the Flavour of some of the conversations that Matt and I have had over the last two years since he came into post in that really important role, organising the uh, US-based but international network organisation for the coal chain, and we we're able to make an exciting announcement, which I'll uh, you can wait to hear as we as we go through the, uh, the the podcast. Before I get onto that, it's worth reflecting a little bit on where we are with all things cold chain. We've got a significant dispute going on with um, the P&O ferry company. With our resilience. There's been stuff in the papers this week about whether or not the UK government should go ahead with the controls that it wants to bring in or will intends to bring in on the meat and dairy goods that we bring into the UK. And the UK government has just brought in the single biggest change in the operating costs of refrigerated transport for many, many years by banning our operators from being able to use red diesel fuel in their transport refrigeration units. This is one of those issues that on the one hand, it's a very small one. You know, the amount of money, the revenue, the government brings in from red diesel is a very small part of their overall tax take. It's a very small part of the conversation when we talk about the impact of, uh, of, of fuel tax rises on the economy. But for our sector, it is obviously a huge cost. We estimate it's going to cost our industry about £100 million to absorb the costs involved in red diesel. And those costs are going to be transferred on to our customers, adding inflationary pressure to the cost of food and fuel. And obviously there's been some discussion in the last few days about whether or not this was the right time to bring that control in. And I absolutely sympathise with the people thinking that at this time. However, of course, the other thing to say is that this is a long standing issue. Red diesel would have been removed for temperature control uh, hauliers back in 2015. If it hadn't been for the work of people like ourselves and others who are making the case for a longer, more considered transition. I still think that to today is too soon for this change to have taken place. It could have taken place over a slightly longer transitional period, there are still problems with having the availability technology, and massive issues with the infrastructure we need in order to be able to operate without the resilient and uh, familiar technologies involved with, with diesel operations. However, we have to also see this in the context of the bigger picture. This is a situ- government that wants to remove the use of fossil fuels altogether from the way we transport goods by within the next 20 years. And so the idea of a subsidised fuel rate for this is, is something that was never going to be uh, a long-term solution or a long-term thing we could rely on. And one of the things about this is relevant to the conversation we're about to have with Matt, is there are examples of how businesses are doing with this around the world, how regulation impacts on our industry in different places. I think in particular of the California Air Resources Board, who, who have been regulating temperature, temperature control refrigeration um, more tightly than anywhere else in the world for some time now. And we had a chance to speak to the, to the CARB officials last week Tom South and I and it was a really interesting conversation about how they see the world what's worked and what's not working yet from the point of view of their regulations and that's something we're going to bring to members in our conversation going forward and that idea of international knowledge casting our net wide thinking about how we can get the best information not just from the UK but what's going on around the world is at the theme of what we want to talk to Matt about in this podcast so as you can hear, we're going to make an announcement in here, but we're also going to just talk, just reflect on the, the three days we had together in Rotterdam, talking to businesses from across the European and international cold chain about where we are in this most crucial of years. I really hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed um, having it. So here it is. Hi, Matt, and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Thanks, Shane. Pleasure being here. So we're sat here in the lobby in Rotterdam um, at the Hilton, where we've just had three days of the European GCCA conference has been a pretty inspiring and positive time, hasn't it? I yeah. mean, what, what, how was your reflections on the last three days?
1: You know, I, I, I would absolutely uh, echo your, your sentiments. It was extremely, extremely uplifting and, and certainly great to get everybody together. Uh, you know, and, and I think that the, the industry as a whole really, really uh, appreciated the opportunity to get together, see one another and, and shake hands, but also to learn from one another, uh, especially learn from... Some of the trials and tribulations we've been through. There's a lot of expertise out there, a lot of thought leadership that we haven't been able to share. And being able to do that the last couple of three days has really been fantastic. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, Matt, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now. Um, I don't think I've ever you've ever sort of spoken directly or were sitting on this platform to the members. Can you just tell us a little bit about about the gcca and and, and how long you've been with them and and, and the history of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, starting with GCCA, GCCA is is actually uh, four organizations, uh, and we are a global organization. Uh, so we we service four uh, components within the cold chain. We service the warehouse side through the International Association of Refrigerated Warehouses, the transportation side through the International Refrigerated Transportation Association, and then we also service the construction, design, and build side, which is actually the Controlled Environment Builders Association. So we're really uniquely in I'd say, well-positioned to, to talk about what's going on soup to nuts uh, throughout the cold chain. We also have a foundation, which is a philanthropic organization. It's called the World Food Logistics Organization. And WFLO is really focused in on trying to develop cold chain throughout the world, especially in underdeveloped portions of the world where cold chain either doesn't exist or might not be as strong as it needs to be. And really, some of the fo- areas of focus are eliminating post-harvest loss, trying to ensure that we have access to the highest quality, safest food, And goods and any sort of thing that requires any sort of temperature-controlled logistics. So, you know, it's it's certainly a a lot to take on. Uh, We've got a lot of responsibility, and certainly handling that from a global perspective uh, takes a good team, and and we've got one in place. But you know, I started at GCCA in in June of 2020, and it was a very interesting time to to take leadership of, of any organization, but certainly an organization working in cold chain and chain you know better than anybody that all of a sudden nobody knew what cold chain was and now it was all over the place and you know running across the bottom of every T V screen and certainly showing up in every every news radio uh, advert et cetera. And so, you know, we uh, we really had to hit the ground running as a team to try to, you know, come together and, and develop a plan so that we could determine how do we represent cold chain effectively and really make sure that people felt good about all the great work that our members were doing day in and day out to ensure people were fed throughout the pandemic so it's certainly uh i'm not going to say it, it's been uh, without its challenges as you know you certainly had your own but uh it's it's been very rewarding to see all the progress that we've made over that time
0: yeah and um certainly i mean i pretty much remember speaking to you in your first first few days and i don't think anyone's ever had a more interesting induction than you did. To uh, So I think you were literally dealing with the New Zealand government within a few weeks of being in the job, dealing with the issues with uh, the misrepresentations of what was going on with COVID and, and frozen supply chain. And, and so uh, that was a pretty, pretty interesting episode. Yeah, you know, there, there's
1: certainly been a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities to, to showcase what we're able to do from a representation standpoint. And we certainly you know, worked very hard to, to make sure people, you know, we're, I would say, representing the facts appropriately. Probably is the nicest way to say it. But, uh, but yeah, in, in terms of some of the disinformation that we've seen across the world, we we had a very active role in trying to get in there and work with government agencies and, and try to ensure that that people were following the science and you know utilizing our scientific advisory council and other industry experts were were certainly very, very helpful uh, as we we went through that.
0: And I really appreciated the fact that we were able to share knowledge with you and the team throughout that time and around some of those things that we were learning as we went, weren't we? Um, Can you just sort of see Global Culture Alliance? We can hear your accent, you know, very much a a U.S. headquartered organization. Um, Is the Global Culture Alliance global in the same way the NFL is global?
1: Yes, and we also have a world championship. Uh, no, in, in all seriousness, we are, and we actually have uh, office locations uh, across the world. Uh, so, we have one uh, in Europe, uh, we have one in South Africa, uh, we have one in uh, in Latin America, uh, Brazil, uh, and we also have a presence in uh, in India. So, you know, we we certainly are global, uh, not just by uh, by the nomenclature. We we actually walk the walk as well as talk to talk and. know certainly it's 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 really interesting and and i think from a when you look back at at the pandemic um you know and and the impact and the way information travels now and travels so quickly it was good to have that sort of global footprint be able to utilize the expertise from our members across the world as we were working on some of the campaigns that we just mentioned um but also in and just working to try to develop new resources and content, et cetera, um, to be able to call on our members across the world and utilize their thought leadership. And certainly in working with the Cold Chain Federation, you know, we, we were able to share a lot of insights and certainly think about how we could you know, work together moving forward.
0: Yeah. It certainly strikes me, as someone who came into this four years ago, how yeah, the Cold Chain is a national pursuit. You, know, you run a warehouse. It's very much linked to the town. It's linked to the customers that you're dealing with there and then. But also you are doing the same function as everyone else right and we are interconnected with each other so having that dialogue both within country but also internationally is a uniquely important uh, thing would you, would you agree oh, absolutely and, and that's why partnerships like the one that, that we have in, in
1: terms of just sharing information uh, and you know like you, you mentioned you know we connected very early on and, and part of the reason that you know I was very anxious to get a hold of you and, and a lot of your other peers across the world who, who operate similar like-minded organizations is because you know, we're only, we're, only, we're only as good as the relationships that we have, and there's certainly strength in numbers, um, and, you know, really wanted to work very, very quickly to ensure that we were partnering on things that, that made sense, uh, we were sharing information where it made sense, and really we were doing whatever we could to help our members in, you know, each of the respective regions that we're serving, so. Um,
0: before I get on to sort of talk a bit more about the way we work together and some of the other challenges, could just talk a bit about you, Matt? What's your background? What were you doing before you joined the Global Cultural Alliance? Yeah,
1: sure, sure. So, you know, my, my background is primarily uh, focused in nonprofit administration, and so, you know, I have a couple of decades' experience working primarily with trade associations in the United States. You know, some global, some just domestic, um, but really the most relevant uh, experience that I, I had, uh, at least to this industry, is working with the National Grocers Association in the United States. Um, and you know, while we were a national association, we did have some international members, uh, specifically on the consumer packaged goods side, and. You know, the interesting thing about NGA and why it's very relevant to what we're doing now is it gives me a unique perspective because I was actually able to work with members that we have up and down the supply chain, as, if you will. You know, so starting with the consumer packaged good companies, the producers, et cetera, who were you know, members of NGA, but also the wholesale distributors, the retailers, you know, essentially the folks that were responsible for distributing food uh, as well. And so coming here, where we're essentially intermediaries, and we're working in between those two groups, you know, it certainly allows me the opportunity to think about things a little bit differently, and think about how we can better serve our customers, and what sort of programs and education, training, et cetera, you know, we can put out there from a cold chain perspective.
0: And, and do you think that those your previous employers and the people you previously representing have got a new appreciation now of the intermediaries as a result of the last two or three years? Yeah, absolutely, and I think that, you know, I
1: was talking about the strength and partnership, you know, just amongst us from a a collaboration perspective and an association perspective, but I think that, you know, the collaborative nature of the industry has never been stronger, and I look at, you know, domestically in the United States, you know, working with other trade associations that are we'll call it in, in parallel in, in industries or tangential industries. So even working with my peers, you know, now uh being on the other side at National Grocers Association, uh you know, working with the, you know, poultry association or the the bakers association or whomever it may be. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more collaboration. Um there's a lot more willingness to work together because we recognize, you know, there's there's strength in partnerships and, you know, we have a role to play. Um, you know, to to once again serve the communities across the world provide the the highest quality safest goods and if we're working
0: together we're going to make that happen and obviously you've been in europe now for you've been to europe you know even for like, even waiting for covid you worked very hard to try and get over here last year i remember we spent some time together and you met some of our members at some of our events and you'll do so again this year um but obviously you've been in Rotterdam, we've got a proper chance to get everyone together what are your main observations about the differences between the european cold chain uh, community and and, and and the one in, the, in north america
1: you know, it's, it's actually really interesting because it, it, you come into it thinking that there may be these large differences just as a result of, of being on different continents, but, but you know, really there, there's actually more similarities than there are anything else. Um, that struck me as well. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's actually fascinating. You know, here at this conference, you know, we actually had representatives from Australia here. We had representatives from the United States here, uh, in addition to just our European members. And I, I think that in sharing thoughts and ideas and getting to hear from one another, I think there was a realization that hey, look, maybe we're we're not so different, and that's where you know there's strength in this partnership as a global organization is that we are able to bring people together, um, and and you know where we are able to learn from each other, we will. But at the same time, we're able to see hey, those similarities. That there's also some some, I would say, there, there's some some things to be be learned from there as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I've given you a hard time about this before privately, and I, and I will do so again. I'm sure. Um, because it's a completely unfair characterization on my point, part for absolutely sure. But I sort of tend to think of the European sort of cold chain conversation with governments in particular being more about sustainability and, and environmental issues than the, than the conversation being had in the US. Tell me, tell, am I wrong in that, thinking that? Well, <laughs> you know, you're hitting me with the hard questions. No, I, I,
1: I, I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I, I think that there's definitely a focus on sustainability, and I think that you know, specifically under this, this presidential administration and, and, you know, Biden re-entering, you know, the Kil- Kilgali, uh, you know, agreement, and we we have the AIM Act in the United States, you know, there's definitely a renewed focus around some of the environmental initiatives. Um, you know, certainly I think we've been approaching sustainability from a different perspective, and a lot of that just has to do with the, the landmass that we we operate in, you know, from a U.S. perspective at least. Um, you know, we, we have a larger area to cover, and, you know, certainly the way that our power grids are set up are, are very different just based on the density. So we haven't quite gotten to where Europe's gotten uh, from that perspective yet. But it, it's gonna come. You know, yeah. we, we now have the line in the sand, we know where we need to get to. So I think those you know those conversations are happening. And I and I think that the initiatives that you know we as an organization have to put in place to help our members get there, you know, you're gonna start to see more of that.
0: I think so. And I also obviously we, what we do have in common is is a Financial market and investor interest in, in in cold chain, you know that's happening around the world. You know, coming particularly out of the United States, but also other parts of the world like Japan are investing significantly in global cold chain, and they're really driven more and more by those ESG considerations, aren't they? And I guess cold chain pro- has to provide that story in that community as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and you know the the you know you talk about the things that you do that you don't really even recognize that that you do. I mean, there's a lot of our members that really aren't even focused on ESG necessarily, but you have all sorts of initiatives that they're employing, you know, within their own businesses that, you know, would qualify as, as good for ESG, right? You know, working with food banks, uh, ensuring that, you know, you're connecting with your communities, uh, you know, reducing we, food. waste. Absolutely. absolutely, and, and really, we actually have quite a diverse community, if you really think about it, um, across not only the United States, but across the world. And so, you know, some of those things that other industries struggle with. You know, I, I actually think we're pretty well positioned to, to deal with ESG. I think us as an organization you know, from GCCA, we just we need to help our members recognize that. And it's certainly something that we're going to be focused on in the next couple of years.
0: It's certainly something that I know that um, your European membership base, we've been talking about it today, is on the agenda at this conference, will be probably very much helping to lead the conversation around, um, which again helps with that kind of sense of that international conversation coordinated by the GCCA. Um, I mean, not... It's obviously a great chance for you and I to have a talk, but we've also got some important news to share, haven't we, really, about about the future of, of our organizations and how we work together. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we've, uh, we're, we're announcing, well, now, this today, but also um, the next week, we're going to be making it formal that we've entered a new partnership agreement between ourselves and the GCCA. Now, we've been, Cold Chain Federation and its previous organization have been affiliated to the GCCA for as long as, for a long time, 20-odd years. Um, but when you and I have been talking over the last um, over the last two years, we've been talking about how do we take that on another step. Um, and you've made a very sort of you have sort of kicked off the conversation, and made a very generous offer to to how we could do that. So do you want to explain what you what what, what we've talked about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to just my overall mentality. Um, and just you know, I, I think there's strength in numbers. You know, I think there's strength in collaboration and partnership. And you know, we are a global industry. You know, we can't we can't. Be isolated in our own thoughts. Uh, we certainly, I think, in order to be successful, you know, we really need to think about how do we position cold chain um, globally. And so, you know, one of the first things that, as I mentioned, that I, I did was go and reach out to you and, and some of our other peers out there, just to have that productive conversation and see where, you know, where there's similarities. You know, what are you doing well? What are we doing well? Are there opportunities to share resources? Are there opportunities to, you know, work on joint initiatives, training, education, advocacy, uh, talking about the cold chain and ensuring that our messaging is on point and relevant and consistent across the world? And so that's really where the I think the, the thought process started. And you know, I'm very, very pleased to see where it's gone. But really the overall idea is that we're gonna work together to ensure that our collective memberships, you know, ours being a global membership and, and certainly cold chain federation uh, in the UK are able to have those sort of interaction points that we had this week here in Rotterdam, you know, being able to, to share those thought leadership opportunities, work together on advocacy, uh, talk about training, education, etc. You know, a lot of the things that I just talked about. And, you know, formalizing it, I think is very, very helpful, because it's not just lip service, we're actually doing it. And yeah. so, you know, I, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely uh, pleased that we were able to make it happen. And I know that, that our membership is, Really looking forward to interacting with the Cold Chain Federation membership.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be specific, what it means, you know, the affiliation goes one step on. Rather than it just being the Cold Chain Federation centrally affiliated to GCCA, we'll be able to tell every one of our storage distribution members will become a formal member of the GTCA with access to the GCGA's resources and access to the GCGA's events and programs and activities um, in the same way as other, other, other members around the world, and vice versa. Any business that's in the GCCA membership around the world that's interested in the UK can come and take part in our activities, can, can draw on our resources, and just have that knowledge share. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big step on, and I think we're going to learn over the next few weeks and months how we make sure we get members get the real benefit of that, and there's some things we're going to learn and try as we go along. But we're going to have a celebrationary party in July, aren't we?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the the first initiatives, and we certainly want to make sure that we're able to, you know, put something uh, on the calendar uh, and and make sure you you mark your diaries. You know, we're going to be partnering with the Cold Chain Federation. We're going to bring some of our members uh, to Wales for the Cold Chain Cup uh, initiative that that you have in in July. We're very excited about it. You know, we've already had some preliminary conversations with some of our members that we we know will be joining us uh, over there. Uh, They're very excited about the opportunity, of course, you know, going to – the, the beautiful resort and, and golfing uh, certainly was a, was a bonus. Uh,
0: I'd yeah. be lying if I said I wasn't looking forward to that myself. A little, little bit of a Ryder Cup going on there, yes, um, so. which obviously is really important, a bit of friendly rivalry. But, um, but fundamentally, it's a chance just to help people to erase their horizons a bit and look at what's going on elsewhere in the world and just just understand where those similarities are and where, and where those differences are. Um, and I guess the other area is, is the issue of advocacy. Now, I think one of the things that people potentially sometimes get nervous of or just don't necessarily understand how it might work is how would advocacy activity work in collaboration. And I guess from my perspective on that is that we're stronger if, we're, if we if we have uh, access to knowledge from everywhere. And I don't think any of this is about the Cold Train Federation not being the lead voice for what's happening in Cold Train in the United Kingdom. It's about... Because that's, that's entirely what we're here for. Um, but it is an opportunity for us to share what we know with... Uh, Colleagues in the United States, but also in uh, around the world, and also to br- bring the knowledge that comes out of what you're doing to our work, and I think that makes us stronger um, in a world where where the cold chain has been uh, more powerful and um, what well, powerful, wrong word, more prominent than it's ever been before. We're powerful too, but but prominent is what I mean. Um, we need to harness that not just here, but around the world, and show that it's happening everywhere. That you know we are a force for resilience. We're a force for uh for for sustainability we're a force for for making people's modern lives work um even through times of, of when times are tough and times have been pretty tough
1: yeah no I, you're, you're absolutely right and i think you know from an advocacy perspective as well you know and we're certainly that's that's been one of the first initiatives that i've taken on you know at gcca is is really trying to rethink our strategy from an advocacy perspective uh, Randall, who's been with gcca for 14 years has done a fantastic job of of representing uh, our members uh, specifically in the United States but also across the world from more of a regulatory standpoint and so you know we've been working with the regulatory agencies in in Washington DC and in the United States but you know also across the world just as a result of some of the project work we do through the World Food Logistics Organization and you know as I went out and I did a listening tour you know, in my first, we'll call it six months, but really it hasn't stopped. But, you know, the, the number one thing I heard from the members was, you know, we really need to think about advocacy and, and how we're approaching it because if we don't take this unique opportunity that we have to talk about cold chain, you know, who we are, what we do, why we're important, we're really, really missing a fantastic opportunity. And we just were not well positioned. And so, you know, we went out, we, we thought about how we wanted to resource that, both from a staffing perspective, but, But also from a financial perspective, because it it does cost money, you know, and it's not something it it takes a lot of hard work. And so we were very fortunate to bring on some additional team members at at GCCA that that are able to help us with those initiatives. We've taken on more uh, legislative activity in the United States. We're actually also about to enter into some advocacy efforts in Canada. We've got advocacy efforts uh, going on in Brazil and the other regions that we're working on, including Europe. You know, over the course, I would say, of the next six to 12 to 18 months, you're going to see more activity from GCCA from an advocacy perspective. And so working with, with you, know, you and uh, the Cold Chain Federation is going to be extremely helpful, you know, especially as we're working with either our elected officials or our regulatory agencies to share you know, how the policy that we're creating or working on creating or impacting, you know, what is the effect of that on a global scale? And that's a question that we've received quite frequently. So it's extremely helpful to have this open line of communication and, and work together.
0: So, I'd give an example of, of that kind of collaboration in action. Um, in the, um, you know, if you think about the issues that are going to dominate our advocacy work in the next um, in, the, in the next two or three years, or the next ten years, one of those is transport regulation and, tran- and how and how how cities and urban governments generally are controlling uh, how, what you can and can't do, where you can move, where you can operate. And um, thanks to, to GCCA sort of introductions, I've been able to talk to the California Air Resources Board which is probably one of the most um, advanced regulators of the cold chain anywhere in the world. Um, And um, what what we're learning from the experience of their regulations are the sorts of things that are going to come to play in other places. They're going to start happening in in Europe. They're going to start happening in in, in the UK, possibly in London. So we need to be ahead of those things, understanding as operators what those mean for us, understanding what's good about regulations in those areas, because it's not all bad. There's a lot of potential support and funding coming in from that, for those sorts of streams, but also understanding what the risks are and how to prepare for that in the future to be ahead of the game and not being reacting. And that's where having a global early warning system, which is effectively what we what we can provide together, um, I think we can be we can be really powerful.
1: Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree, and you know, I, I think that you know, there, there's I've talked a lot about the thought leadership side of it. Um, and, and I think that that's extremely important and especially when we have the opportunity, you know, not only to just to learn what's happening in, in our different you know, respective regions, but also to potentially interact, you know, with the policymakers and, you know, tell our story because I think it also tells a more holistic, uh, story just about the impact of coal chain. It's a, it's a, global industry, right? You know, the goods are you know, coming in and going out from across the world. You know, the port situation, as we know, regardless of where you're at in the world is, uh, challenging at best. Uh, Dysfunctional, probably at worst, uh, which, you know, I think, I think we're, we're probably we're probably looking at right now. But, you know, we, we get a lot of questions, as I mentioned before, from, you know, the administ- presidential administration, the regulatory agencies. You know, if we were to imp- implement this policy, what what's going to happen on a global scale? Well, you know, if we have the opportunity to connect, you know, you, Shane, with, uh, you know, one of those elected officials, I think that's really powerful.
0: Great. Well, I think um, there's plenty more conversations to be had, and we'll probably be talking about the, through this podcast on different occasions, on different topics. I, I want to ask you about the development work of the uh, WFLO in particular and what it's doing in Africa, some really inspiring stuff going on there. Um, but for now, um, it's brilliant to, uh, to, have, uh, to have been able to make this announcement together. It's brilliant to be together in Rotterdam, and uh, we look forward to talking again soon. Thanks a lot, Matt.
1: Thank you so much, Shane. And, and, and thank you uh, for the opportunity, not only to, to be here with you on this podcast, but, you know, to, to work together in collaboration and, and, you know, best is yet to come. So thank you.
0: It is such a privilege for me to be able to do this podcast, to be able to share with you some of the conversations and insights that I get uh, from my role as, as, as running the UK Culture Federation, And this idea of how we link into the wider world is a really, really important one, I think. I really believe that in that we've got a leader of our international organization, for the cold chain, who's really committed to the idea of how to take the organisation onto a new level in terms of how it provides collaboration opportunities between businesses and organisations that have a shared stake in promoting the value of our industry. The world is changing, the world is always changing, but particularly right now, with all the geopolitical developments that are going on coming out of the pandemic, we really do have a, a sense that the resilience of how we trade with each other and the infrastructure we use to do that is of paramount importance. And whilst we all will always need to be very strong, independent national voices in how we do that job, we do have an opportunity to really be stronger by, by collaboration. And that's why I believe very much in this in this partnership agreement that we've that we've reached. And I really look forward to working with Matt and the wider GCCA team in, in finding ways to make that relevant for members um, across the UK membership. I hope you're enjoying this podcast series. Thank you to everyone who subscribed to the podcast. And if it's your first time, then please go on to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. Um, if you can, please also go on there and leave a review um, and spread the word, share the podcast with your friends, family, colleagues, whoever. The absolute highlight of my week in Rotterdam was when I met um, a cold chain colleague from, from the US who'd come over for the conference, who told me that he'd listened to every single one of these episodes of the podcast Our community may be small but we are mighty and that's fantastic. So on that note I'm going to sign off. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to talking to you soon.